What up, GWB Nation? This is your host, Ben Mayfield. Welcome to another episode of the Great White Buffalo Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is an incredible episode. I'm so excited. This is one of my first one-on-one interviews. I have the doctor, the reverend, Mr. Bill Hutchinson, and he is an incredible human being. He does. He wrote a book. And it's all about marriage counseling. It's about relationships. It's about insight and his ministry. He's super, he's like a Yoda, folks. He's a Yoda Gandalf, you know, Dumbledore. He's got a lot of wisdom, a lot of love. And he's just a super kind soul, and he's on in today's episode, and I'm really happy about this episode because it's just it's just great conversation. It's about community. It's very insightful. I love it. I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, just remind everybody before today's episode that we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Podbean, and we are now on Spotify. We're on Spotify, so look for the Great White Buffalo Podcast on all three of those. And then also uh, follow us on Instagram at the Great White Buffalo Podcast. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify and write us a review. It helps the channels out tremendously. And be looking out for our merch. Our merch is coming out. we got some t-shirts coming out and some stickers. And I'm really excited. It looks really good. Join the herd. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's tremendous. Make sure to be looking out on all of our stuff that's coming out real soon. And we appreciate the love and support and those who are joining our herd. It's tremendous and we're very thankful. We love you and enjoy the episode. Wandering through the great plains of life, things move fast, sometimes a blur. Don't you let this bumpy road separate you from the herd. When you think the day is done, the sun is getting low. We're all looking for something rare, the great white buffalo, the great white buffalo. Podcast with Ben Mayfield. What up, GW Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Great White Buffalo Podcast. This is your host, Ben Mayfield. And ladies and gentlemen, I have a very exciting guest. He's a doctor. He's a reverend. He's he's our first doctor we've ever had on the podcast. So, And it's not a medical doctor. It's a, is it in theology? Doctor in theology, concentration in ministry and preaching. It's Mr. Do- well, I guess Dr. Bill Hutchinson. That mispronounced it. That mispronounced it. I did, didn't I? Oh man! All right, credit the listeners. How did you say it? Hutchison. Hutchison. Yeah. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. I uh, I took speech therapy until like third grade, and so there's certain words that I just butcher. I'm just terrible at. My friends always make fun of me, like the word uh, apocalyptic. See, I can't say. I can't say. Do you, you know apocalyptic. What? Yeah. See, <laughs> see, I'm just terrible at certain certain words. So I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. But I'm very excited you're here. Thank you. And just for the listeners to know, your your daughter Anna yes. went to yes. Lum County High School. I guess both your daughters did. Yes. Um, and you're a Lum County native. And Jake Riggs, your son-in-law, who's yes. married to Anna, I work with at yes. Coming First. And so I saw you one day at the church, and I was telling you about the podcast, and you said, "Hey, man, I'm." I love your podcast. I'm writing a book. Maybe it's a win-win situation. If I can come on your podcast, and I was super excited to have you. And so, thank you for being here. Oh, it's my privilege. My yeah. privilege to be here. I'm so excited. So today, let's uh, let's give just a little bit of a bio background, just who you are, so people can paint a picture. All our listeners, you started. You're in ministry. What got you into ministry? What was was there a mm. moment? Was there an inkling? Is it just your natural spiritual gifts. What's going on? Well, it, it really started when I was a kid. Uh, when I was about 15, I started sensing there was something going on, and I didn't know what it was, and pestered my the two pastors between there and the time I was 17, 18. Um, but 
once I got to college, I kind of, you know, kind of, I turned in a different direction. Um, but midway through my sophomore year, the we had semesters, not I mean, uh, quarters, not semesters in. So right. in the winter quarter, um, I had one of these crises of the soul thing because I really began to realize God was calling me to ministry and I wanted to be a counselor. And so, so what I said to God is, if you'll leave me alone for the next four years, I've got a couple of years of college and then a couple of years of, uh, of graduate work, and uh, then if you'll leave me alone, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And uh, I think God kind of took me at my, my request because nothing horrible happened to me, but for the next three days, I felt the most alone I've ever felt. Wow. Again, no nobody died, no near misses, you know, it, but by the third night, I did something I, I never did and still don't do a lot of, and I got down on my knees by the bed, and I said, okay, God, I'm just miserable. What do you want me to do? And so I said, okay, I'll go into ministry, and I said to God, okay, I will be a Christian counselor. <laughs> <laughs> and so I graduated from Mercer uh, with a, a degree in Christianity, and I went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I, I crammed three years of work into four years while I was there. Wow. Yeah. Mercer Bears. Aren't they the Bears? Yeah, Mercer? the Bears. They beat uh, Duke in the basketball tournament like three or four years ago Whoa. Uh, in the NCAA, and I remember everybody just being super excited about like, Mercer. Like, all schools beat Duke. Yes. Anyways, yes. side tangent there. Uh, well, Mercer was stronger than they were supposed to be, and Duke took them for granted. Yeah. And they were weaker then than they were they generally are. But, Absolutely. Uh, but still, um, I, I think what I'm doing, I went to seminary expecting to, to get a Ph.D. in psychology, psychology of religion, and become a clinical counselor uh, or a teacher and or a teacher. Um, but I think what happened was God allowed that for two years because the first week of classes, I met this woman, Mary Beth Barnes. <laughs> and Come on. Listen, I just saw her first mm-hmm. chapel service. She was, there's 60 people in this choir. Now, this, this chapel at seminary would see 1,500 people, and there were probably 1,100 in there. And the choir comes in, and there's 60 people in this choir, all of them professional quality voices. <laughs> And, you know, the guys come in from either side, the back row, and then the, the basses, then the tenors, then the altos, and the sopranos came in the front. She was the next to the last female to come in on my side. And I looked at that woman, and I thought, I didn't hear a word the preacher said. And I thought, mm. And I started stalking that woman uh, and oh, met it. her that weekend at uh, a picnic. A Labor Day picnic. And, now, did you know beforehand she was going to be at the picnic? Or no. Did you, or you just saw her at the picnic? I couldn't That's find, the choir girl. <laughs> I couldn't find anybody who knew she, who she was. Oh, man. And so, uh, but there she was, and and this other guy, and I saw her at the same time. And he said, I'm going to get a date with that girl. I said, not if I get one first. <laughs> so we went over and introduced ourselves. And... Um, uh, I called her before he did, got a date for that weekend, and that was the week after Labor Day. Now, now, let our audience know now, you said you called her, so did you have to have like a, what year was this? 
Oh, this uh, this was 1976. So this this is not like a cell phone, like you send a text. Lord, no, this is a rotary phone. (laughs) You know, this is an old phone in a seminary dorm. And uh, so I called her, and uh, we set a date for that Saturday night, and then uh, went out with a group to an ice cream parlor and. Which are the best best first dates is in a group setting because yes. it's no like pressure. That's right. With just the two of you, you just get to be kind of fun, hang out, but you also kind of get to know them. I love it. I like your game so far. Yeah, You're doing a great job. And then uh, by her her birth, now that's the first second weekend in September. By seven weeks later, I proposed. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, we're not going to let that pass. So seven weeks. So that's. A little less than two months. Yes, October the 24th, her birthday. What? What, what? what was going through your mind? Was it just... Okay, now this is, this is something my wife just really gets me about because I, I'm an extrovert and I used not to have much of a filter. And extroverts think out loud anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, on her birthday, which was on a Sunday, we cut church that morning and I took her on, on a picnic to a place 30 miles south of Louisville called Bernheim Forest, 300 acres, private forest, beautiful place. And um, uh, we had one of those magical days. It was just, you know, everything was perfect. The weather was perfect. The color up there was beautiful. And we got back that evening, changed, went to church, and on the way from there to Pizza Hut afterward. It's just been so magical. And when we got to Pizza Hut, I remember sitting there, and you know those red candles, and we were sitting kind of in a corner, and it was shining up in her face. And I said these words. They were not planned. Mm -hmm. I think I've found the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. You said that out loud? Yes. Oh, my gosh. What? I said it out (laughs) loud, and it surprised me. And she looked across the table, and her mouth dropped open, and she smiled, and she said, well, okay, yes. (laughs) And then I didn't have a ring. I had not thought about a ring. Uh, uh, It was, uh, and I told her that about three years ago. Now, really? we've been married nearly 42 years. Three years ago, I told her, well, let me tell you what happened. And she said, you never really have asked me to this day to marry you, have you? I said, well, I didn't need to. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, awesome. So, uh, at a Pizza Hut. At oh, a Pizza Hut in Louisville, man. Kentucky. In Louisville, Kentucky. Now, so are you from Louisville? No, no, no. I'm from Macon. You're from Macon. Okay. And she's from Douglasville. So why were you all in Louisville? At seminary. At seminary. She oh, okay. had graduated from Shorter with a voice performance degree. It was in the music school. Right, okay. I graduated from Mercer, and I was in a the theology school. And um, so we, she crammed three and a half years of work into three years, and I crammed three years of work into four years. And nice. uh, we uh, uh, married in 78. Nice. In January of 78. And uh, I, as an only brat... Uh, I have not been the easiest person necessarily to live with, <laughs> but she uh, she's a very gracious person. And no, that's that's an incredible story. I uh, I have a special place in my heart for Pizza Hut. Just being a uh, Delonica local for the longest time, my childhood, the only pizza place was Pizza Hut. There was no Papa John's, there was no Domino's or Little Caesars. So Pizza Hut right. is that's old right. school. So I love it. So you get married in '78. Yep. 
you're you're a minister. Did you go? I guess I have it written down here that you went back to school in '80 to get your master's in divinity. Was well, that? No, I went back. I went to in '76. I graduated okay. from college in '76. Started in '76. Okay, my okay. master's. Graduated in '80, and started pastoring then. Okay, where was your first pastor? It was down in uh, Norman Park, Georgia, it's between Tifton and Moultrie. Okay, that's ABAC is in Tifton, so yes. I, know, I know a little yes. bit about that area. Uh, I spent three years down there. Great people. Uh, hot though, was it hot? Yeah, well, it's the I mean, armpit it's just, of the South, yeah, right here. So, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Summer heat in Georgia, it's the <laughs> worst. Yes. So there for three years, mm-hmm. and then what was your next place? Went from there to Claxton, which is uh, the land of fruitcakes and rattlesnakes. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> they have a rattlesnake roundup every year, and I've actually oh prayed an invocation many times over the rattlesnake roundup. <laughs> for real? Oh, oh for real. Is for it real. that many, like, ra- just everywhere? Is just rattlesnakes you got to watch well, out? Well, it, it, there are a lot of them in South Georgia because there's a lot of loamy, sandy soil down there. Yeah, right. And, and, but uh, it started, that started, oh, a little less than a decade before I actually began to pastor there, but a young man was in the pea patch with his grandparents, and they were picking peas, and a rattlesnake struck him three times on the leg. He was about eight years old, six years old. Nearly killed him, nearly lost his leg. Yeah. Um, Thankfully, he didn't, but folks got... No, that motivated some people, and they started uh, doing what is done... In Texas, in Alabama, and in Southwest Georgia, yeah, which absolutely. is to catch the rattlesnakes, and they send them to serpentariums now, and they they milk them mm-hmm. for the anti, you know, to to make the antivenom. But um, but anyway, that that's what started that, and they would catch, uh, they would have their three hundred to three hundred and fifty rattlesnakes a year, Man. and uh, some of them are huge. Well, this is a a little bit of a tangent here. I taught herpetology, which is the study of reptiles and amphibians. And one of my favorite part was there's no poisonous snakes ever. They're venomous snakes. And (laughs) and so I'm glad you said venom earlier. And the the difference from our listeners are like, what's different than poisonous versus venom? Poison has to be congested. You have to eat it. You have to consume it. Venom is injected. So like rat poison is poison because the rats eat it. If you were to bite like a snake, you're just injecting into them. So there's a difference between venom and poison. Anyways, I say all that. Two, uh, there are six types of venomous snakes found in the state of Georgia that are natural to the state of Georgia, uh, three of which are rattlesnakes, and they are monstrous, the diamondback being the biggest. I mean, they can get like up to 12, 13 feet. So, <sighs> man, they're just it's wild. Uh, here in Dahlonega, you're more than likely going to find a copperhead. That's yep. like that's the most common, uh, and there are water snakes like uh, water banded snakes, but there are no water mosquitoes. They usually stay in the swamp area down mm-hmm. inside. Just a little PSA there for all the snake people out there. <laughs> so, but I digress. So you're in Claxton, Georgia. Yep. You're loving it. You're doing great. What point do you come to Dahlonega, Georgia? Because I feel like that's your longest ministry. Yeah, I was ten years in Claxton, and then oh wow, uh, about about. Uh, six, seven years into that ministry, uh, I began to get a wanderlust. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I knew there was something else that God had. And, and literally, I wrote down a list of five things that I was looking for the next place I went. One of those things was I wanted to own my own house because I had two children, wife. 
if something happened to me, if I got killed on the road, I wanted them to be able to have a home to live in, you know? Because you, you got uh, Parsonages? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Well, they call them Pastoriums and Baptist uh, Church, Parsonage. Oh, okay. And is I think a, Pastorium, Methodist term? Methodist term is Parsonage. Oh, okay, my bad, my bad. No, that's okay, but <laughs> yeah. I think Pastorium fits because it sounds like a sanatorium for pastors, you know? <laughs> and, so true. And, and that works. But uh, that, I wanted to be in a college town because... Um, Colleges often bring a lot of things, pluses to a community. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, wanted to be able to take my daughters to some cultural things at the college, music, uh, theater, those kinds of things. And there were a couple of other things, a uh, church that really wanted to reach out, not just be insular, you know, right. wanted to reach out into the community, be engaged in the community. Um, I did that in about seven years into the 10 years I was there. And then all of a sudden, this congregation, the search committee calls and says, are you interested? And I thought, well, I don't know. Yeah. Have you, never, have you ever been to Dahlonega, Georgia by that I point? I actually had. Uh, when I was in, in college, I did, uh, uh, it was called Baptist Student Union then, Baptist Campus Ministry yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. I was a summer missionary, and we went to 17 churches in, in, from the middle Georgia to north Georgia. One was Gainesville and one was Dahlonega. Right, so I yeah, spent absolutely. three days here. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it, it, it all worked out. And uh, when, I, when I arrived here, I realized, and I found that list, I'd forgotten it. All five of the things that I had wanted were in this congregation. So yeah, absolutely. It was perfect, perfect fit for us. And, and how, how young were your daughters at the time? Well... Emily was going, our older daughter, mm-hmm. you know Emily, uh, she was going into the eighth grade, okay. and Anna was going into the second grade. Okay. So they're, they're six years apart. Yeah, six years, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so we, you know, Emily did not want to come. Yeah, so I, that's, that's what I was wondering, because I know we were like, I was fortunate enough, being a military kid, my dad, wherever he had to go, was stationed, he always just drove and never moved us, because he knew that could be troublesome for our family to constantly be moving. So I was wondering in my mind, like, how, how the family reacted to moving, you know, six hours north or five hours north. Uh, to, well, Emily didn't want it because she had been in the band in the seventh grade, mm. but she couldn't be in the marching band until the eighth grade. And she had built a bunch of friends, you know, a, a good cadre of, of really quality kids in the band, and she was so mad at us for the first year. <laughs> but now she right. you know, now she doesn't want to leave. She married somebody here and, and uh, lives here, works here, has two children, our two grandchildren. So Yeah, absolutely. Two of the three. Yeah, two of the three. Shout out to Liam. We yes, Liam. Um, so, okay, so you interview with this committee, mm-hmm. and they said, hey, we want you. You said, hey, we, I want to be with you. You're in Dahlonega for... 23 years? 23 and a half. 23 and a half. Mm-hmm. Tell me some things. That's a long time in a church. Yeah. What are some of the, and I think this is important for all of us, you know, who are listening, is we get in jobs, we get in careers, and we're going to be there for a long time, you know, whether it's teaching, whether it's engineering, doctors, lawyers, whatever it may be. What are some of the things that were ups and downs, and how did you get through, you know, the tough situations, but also the good situations? You know, how did you keep the pace and not get burned out or, you know, get caught up in the, the little things and have such a long career, successful career, 23 and a half years? Well, I, let me first say a lot of it had to do with the congregation. 
Right. Because the, my predecessor had been there 23 and a half years. There was one guy between him and another guy who had been here two terms, and mm-hmm. he was here 34 years total. Oh, wow. So this congregation has a history of, of, of being stable. Right. That's not always the case. Yeah, so, so true. So true. <laughs> but uh, part of it was, I think it was, number one, the fit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what I thought I wanted to do and what I thought I had gifts to do. Uh, the congregation was willing to follow and, and go into that. I mean, we, you know, a lot of things transpired in that 23 and a half years, not because of me, but I was able to be a part of it yeah, and hopefully absolutely. contribute to it. But, you know, like our community helping place expanding exponentially from a small part-time thrift store and a food, a food pantry in the Catholic Church into now what is, you know, a two-location, large, uh, full-time ministry. And uh, I, I was able to do that and, and wanted to do it because that was part of my vision of the church being engaged in the community. You know, that that's a launching pad yeah. up there. It's not just a hospital for sick sinners. We are, but, yeah. you know, when we don't stay there often. You know, we're there, uh, you know, a couple hours a week. And we spend the rest of the time at home and at school and at work, and that's where we're supposed to be light, and that's what I wanted. Yeah. And so that was it. Now, I mean, there were hard times. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you when the the congregation was growing. Because didn't did, were you there when they built the church? The yes, new church on top of the hill. Yes. Uh, in the long run. So that's a big project too. Just Huge. A, a capital campaign. Money always makes situations a little dicey. Everybody gets a little tense when you talk about, you know, the budget and the numbers. And yep. and then, you know, do we want a door here? Do we want a window here? And it's like, okay, people. Um, people get, But I, that's so cool that you survived that process of building a brand-new church. Well, it, it was, and we needed it, it. And they had begun the process, and they had bought most of the property but then had to buy more property. And... When we signed the contract in June of 99, I looked mm-hmm. at the chairman in the committee meeting, and I said, okay, you go build a building and let me build a church. And uh, now I was in all those committee meetings, and we were talking about where to put doors and all that kind of junk. Right. But I didn't stand up in the pulpit and ask for money. I kept my focus on the kingdom, and and I think that may be one of the reasons why I lasted. A lot of pastors don't last beyond a building project, right. and uh, and I think it was because um, I, I was I, I knew we needed it, but I was not uh, up there talking about it and milking people for money and everything. I let other people yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, that's not my job. <laughs> that's right. That's awesome, and it makes me think too of just the openness and the community aspect you talked about wanting to have that church. We. I worked at DeLonga United Methodist yep. Church in college, and I was like their college helper. And we partnered several events with the Baptist Church. <laughs> we did like lock-ins, we did a ski mm-hmm. trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Dennis Teasley and Chris Davis. And we did some youth ministry stuff, and that was just really cool of like cross-church, you know, because people can get really dicey about, you know, 
Methodist versus Baptist versus Catholicism versus you know, yeah. you know Presbyterian, whatever it is, and Presbyterian. And so just to know that we're all Christians, we're all trying to strive towards the cross. And, exactly. And, and so that was really cool that you, it starts from the top, really. And so I'm glad you and, and the time was Jeff Ross, uh, now Schofield. And so just, I don't know, I just really appreciate that. And I, I just, you did a great job, not that you needed kudos, but you created that community of just being open and being uh, loving to all. Well, and the, the neat thing is there were a lot of, of pastors here, uh, mostly men, a couple of three women along and along. But um, we were able, from all of the churches, different denominations, mm-hmm. to come together and had a very, very strong ministerial association. Um, in fact, you know, the side-by-side. Yeah, so, we, yeah, yeah. I, that I started that. in our church where one of the deacons came to me and said, we need to do something. I've heard about something. Can we do it? And, you know, I got excited about what we did one Saturday in April, mm-hmm. a decade ago, and I was telling the Ministerial Association, and those pastors said, hey, you think we could do that? And it started that way so that now, I mean, I don't know, I haven't the last couple of years I have been involved, but I've been out on the field. I haven't come to the, to the you know, the gathering. But we were averaging 325, uh, 350 people from all the different churches here coming together on one day serving 30, 40 different projects in our community. And it actually took a life of its own now, so that side-by-side is a year-round thing. Right. And uh, again, I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to stay, and I was able to stay because that was what I felt like God wanted us to do, and the congregation was willing to do it. Yeah. As I don't know one of the I know I know do you know Dave Edelberg? Yeah. Shout out to Dave. Uh, he did side by side yeah. for many years, and yeah. that's one of the first times I really remember Dave and just his heart to serve. And we ended up being on the Wesley board together. But it was it's so impactful. Just for me, I don't know you don't know I don't know if you know my story, but I didn't get to know Christianity or accept Christ or be a until I was in college. Hmm. I wasn't involved with youth or church. High school and younger, and so just having people like Dave and then uh, Tony Nunley. Do you know Tony? Oh, good friend of mine. I, I love Tony, and he listens to the podcast. So shout out to Tony Nunley. And <laughs> I got to meet him and his son and daughter Caleb and, and Jamie and Robbie, and they're just a lovely family. And I just I bring that up just because it was it, they were Baptists. You know, they're part mm-hmm. of the Baptist church, and we, I was part of the Methodist church. And I just loved when I was learning more about faith to know that the community of Christians had no um, division lines. There was no division. It was just your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, and like, how can we serve side by side? Um, mm-hmm. And I got to know those people. Tony and I, uh, I remember on a ski trip, uh, I think it was a ski trip, maybe it was a, a camp out, I can't remember, but Chris Davis was like, hey, you're going to ride with Tony. It's just the two of you. And as we know, Tony's not <laughs> the most chit chatty, and I'm I have a podcast because I like to talk a lot, and so <laughs> he said, "Good luck, Ben." And I just I got him to open up, talk about Braves baseball, we talked about the military, and he's a good friend now. Like I love Tony a lot, uh, Tina, and and so I just say all that just because I'm really appreciative of the ministry that you help create there at DBC. Mm. That is a big part of my life. <clears throat> So speaking of which, mm-hmm. 
You're in DeLonga Baptist, 23 and a half years. Uh-huh. Ministry, I guess, plus the 10 at classes and plus the three, so over 30 years of ministry. 36 30. years there, two years while I was in seminary, and then part-time before that, so yeah. 38 years of ministry. Wow. How many, and this is uh, this is going to be a great segue, you did a lot of counseling, because that's yeah. when you first wanted to get into ministry was counseling. How much marriage counseling did you do okay. when you were a pastor? Small C. Not, uh, I'm not a licensed professional right, counselor. Right, right, right. So it's called pastoral counseling. In fact, I don't even use that word anymore because... People get, yeah, there's stigma. Confusion yeah. and, and, well, I just don't want people to confuse things. But because I'd wanted to be a licensed professional counselor, um, uh, I have to go back and tell you the story that when my wife and I met with her, her old pastor... Yeah. Uh, for marriage preparation. He spent 30 minutes with us. My wife said he needed to spend a lot more time with me. <laughs> and and I began to realize, hey, we really needed more than that. Mm-hmm. And, and because of the way I was put together uh, and the passion that I had, I started working on that and uh, from from the beginning, from the first weddings that I did, sitting down and talking with the couples and spending you know an hour, two hours with them to begin with, then talking about the ceremony. And one thing led to another. I started collecting a number of tools so that now the pre-marriage preparation that I do with a couple uh, is six to eight hours face-to-face with about three hours of fun homework. You know? Right. And uh, uh, it... And you, you did that during your when you yeah. were at these churches. Yeah, because okay. I and and I did it, you know, uh, because that was the thing I enjoyed the most was preaching and preaching and teaching. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you. I'm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mouth is always moving, <laughs> and then I liked to work with people and help them discover how to deepen their relationship with God and relationship with each other and God, and so. Uh, I did that, and and I've worked with a lot of couples uh, after they were married to try to help improve their relationships. Um, I have I have worked with a number of couples, a lot of couples, and referred them to professional counselors. Mm-hmm. I have worked with couples. In fact, there's one counselor, licensed professional counselor, right here. Uh, shout out to Colin. Yeah, uh, come on, uh, Colin and Colin Vanderpoel and I. Um, had this tag team kind of approach um, where, and it started, I won't go into that story, but anyway, (laughs) um, he would have a client who was a believer, but who needed some spiritual guidance. And he's a believer, but he thought that's not his forte. And so he called me one day and said, look, this person is willing to come see you. I, I knew this person, but she was not a member of our church. And, um, we started a conversation, and he was working with her weekly uh, in a professional counseling, and I was working with her in a professional uh, spiritual mentoring relationship. And what we, we did that several times over the last six or eight years of my ministry at Delonica Baptist and found that people tend to make much more rapid progress because they're dealing with the emotional and the spiritual content Mm -hmm. of their issue. And I never got into counseling 
but uh, they would give me permission and him permission to talk about the big rocks, you know, what are the big issues that you're dealing with, Colin, and okay, uh, grief over here, somebody lost somebody and they're having a hard time with that. Well, there's a spiritual component to the grief, so I would talk about the spiritual component of grief. So it's those kinds of things, and that worked out real well. Um, and it was after I retired that... Well, so, so that's what I was oh, going to get oh, with. Okay. So you did this while you were at DeLonga Baptist yeah. and even before that, and so you had this great partnership. Yeah. And so then one day you retire, yep. and you're retired for, a, what, about a year? Yep. Maybe a year and a half, and you get this itching to start writing this book. You still want to do, you know helping people, seeking advice, you want to do some counseling, you want to pour into them about all the experience, about marriage, about how to have a successful relationship. You start wanting to do a little project. What is that project, and what was okay. the big motivator? All right. This Really, the odd thing is I, I, was, I wanted to do writing. I've always wanted to write, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, get diary of the pen sometime, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, but... Um, I was sitting down in August of 18. I was looking at a YouTube uh, program about Christian writing. And you know how they stack the uh, other videos yeah, yeah. that relate the, the to that? The suggested videos to watch. Suggested. Yeah. Well, the top one was uh, something called the Author Incubator. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I just went to that, and it turned out to be this woman, Angela Loria, who started this business where she wants to help people who want to write something and want to coach. And, you know, she invited people to apply. I'd never thought of coaching. But when she described what she was doing, I realized I'd been doing that for 30 years. Right. I'd been counseling, but yeah. I'd been coaching. Absolutely. And uh, so uh, she said, I've got, I've got, I have five places open right now. Um, so hit this thing, fill out an application. Well, while it was going on, I saw a bunch of people scrolling in the chat saying, I'm going to, you know, and before you knew it, there were 60, 70 people who said they were going to apply. And I thought, well, I'll apply, but it has no, I have no chance of getting in it. But went through a interview process. It was two or three stages and, and she accepted me into that. And what she does is she, she, you write a book in, in nine weeks with her. Oh, Wow. And uh, thankfully, I already had my process down. Mm-hmm. So, because you've been writing messages for well, years, I've been writing that. But the 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 process for helping couples, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, the tools and everything I'd used some of them for thirty years, some mm-hmm. of them for twenty, twenty five years, some of them for twenty years, and so I, I I had the the process down. I just needed to put it in the order that she taught. And so got the book written. So in through, nine through weeks. the nine weeks, we came yep. with the book is called "Marriage Maximize: The Guide to a Purposeful and Passionate Relationship." Yep. What week were you when you came up with that title? Well, actually, the title that I came up with for the first for that iteration that was published and is on Amazon right now mm-hmm. is um, "Marriage Can Be Happy." You can be happy in marriage. That was the title of the book. When this was picked up earlier this year, February of this year, by Morgan James Publishers for print publishing, mm-hmm. and when I didn't have to change much in the manuscript, but they wanted to do a whole new cover, 
And they said, well, you know, we're not so sure about that title. I said, I'm not either. Right. So Because uh, in, in today's world, there's so many books. And so I can just see the publisher going, listen, bud, you have a really good book, but people yep. need to know what it's about versus like these vague titles because yep. people will, yep. will overlook it. And so Were they, you in like conversation? <laughs> no, well, no. So I just I know just you know from doing podcasts and things like that. So they want you to go. Yep. This is what you're getting at. And so when people are looking for that market, they'll hit it, and then boom, it'll sell. So it was the 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 subtitle, the guide to a mm-hmm. passionate and I mean a purposeful and passionate relationship remained the same, but we changed that to uh, marriage maximized, and um, and so that book actually uh, will be published this fall and will be in the bookstores in April. Uh, yeah, in 2020. 2020, yeah. So uh, really looking forward to getting that out there to help people um, see that it, it, takes some, it takes some tender loving care for the relationship, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, we're not taught how to do that. You know, most people are like me when they got married. If they had any marriage preparation at all, it was 30 minutes, and most of that was spent just talking about the ceremony and what time and when and where. Yeah. Uh, nothing helping to talk about communication or uh, love or what is the real purpose for marriage, which uh, I didn't have a clue what the real purpose for marriage was, even though I was a theology student. Right. Uh, but over the years, uh, I began to realize God had a purpose for marriage that... Mm-hmm. Uh, if if we understand the purpose in marriage, and if we do marriage God's way, then we will get God's results. Right. Which will mean a purposeful and passionate relationship that also has happiness. See, most people. How many times have you been to a wedding and you you're you're at the rehearsal dinner, and they're toasting and they're. The bride and the groom are talking, oh, she just makes me so happy, or he completes me, or he's so sweet to me, <laughs> uh, you know. And, and the problem with that, and I know I did it too, but the problem with that is, where's the focus? The focus is on me. Mm-hmm. Mary Beth is to make me happy. She thinks I'm to make her happy. Well, that totally misses the purpose that God has for, for marriage. Right. And... Um, and so what I wanted to do was to help people understand that uh, happiness is to marriage what sprinkles are to the cake. The sprinkles are not the cake. The sprinkles are not the icing on the cake. The sprinkles make the cake look pretty, but won't take, change the taste of the cake. Mm-hmm. So if you focus on the cake and focus on the icing, then... Any sprinkles you put on there will be fine. Well, it reminds me uh, of two things. One, I just did a message, and yours is definitely deeper than my message, but I used the tagline, it's not about behavior modification, it's about the inward transformation. And so the cake being that inward transformation about being about God, and if the inward transformation's there, then the icing and the sprinkles will come. That's exactly but it, right. But if you have the sprinkles and icing, it could be a rotten cake. That's right, you That's know, right. And, and, so, and it often is, because we're putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. Absolutely, yeah. Putting the emphasis on making me happy. You make me happy, and that's my expectation. So what we set ourselves up for is a contractual kind of relationship where, mm-hmm. okay, Mary Beth, you make me happy, 
Bill, you make me happy. So I will give as long as you're giving. But, but what happens if I don't get what I think I need or what I want? Then I stop giving. So that's a contract. Right. In a Christian marriage, it's a triangle. There are three. God is at the top and we're at the base. And what I try to tell couples is the closer you get to God, naturally the closer you come to each other. You are not, you don't get close to each other by moving across the base toward each other. You get closer and closer and closer by moving closer to God together. And uh, so Boom, mind blown right there, folks. <laughs> and that's a, that's a covenantal relationship yeah. because I give, she gives, we don't give to get, we give to give. Absolutely. Uh, it also makes me think, too, uh, I've heard this sermon about happiness versus joy yep where joy is more of a like a deeper it's in it's it's an acronym joy is jesus others and then yourself correct and so like loving jesus is the first and foremost love god all your heart mind soul love your neighbor which is others and then yourself yep. it's the same thing with a marriage to have that happiness to have that joy you got to know it's j-o-y not right. y-o-j so Yaj, Yaj yeah, makes yeah. people miserable. Yeah, Yaj is not there. <laughs> so, so without having to, not that we want to give like all the goodness of the book away, but yep. what are some of the things that you're talking? We we're talking about off mic earlier about love languages and how to yep. maximize. Yep. And so, what are some of the things that people who are listening who are like, okay, I see the triangle. I want to work my way towards God. You know, okay. making that important in my relationship and my marriage. What are some of those steps? What are some of the things I can do? How can I be more intentional with my marriage or my, or girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever sure. s- step they're in the relationship? Um, well, there, there are several. Uh, one thing that I have found is um, I can help people a great deal if I just help them understand their personalities and help them understand their their partner's personality, okay? Right. Uh one quick story about Mary Beth and me. <laughs> yeah, come I on. I learned about this. Uh, I don't know if we have time for oh, it. Oh, we have plenty of time. Okay. Uh, when I first began my doctoral work in 1991, uh, uh, one of the things I did at the very beginning of the doctoral work was did the uh, Myers-Briggs uh, yeah. personality, personality type uh, inventory. And um came out that I was an, an ENFJ, an extrovert, intuitive, feeling, judging person. Um, and when I read what that means, I, I was blown away because I thought, wow, that really describes me. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I did when I got back home to Claxton, I, no, to, yeah, it was to Claxton at the time. I said, Mary Beth, you've got to take this. And so I, she took a uh, what's called the Kearsey Temperament Sorter. It's a kind of a knockoff of Myers-Briggs. Yeah. About 85% is accurate, but I didn't have to pay $900 to, <laughs> you know, to, to get to... Uh, anyway, I, I, I gave that to her and found out she is an introverted, sensing, feeling, Perce- slightly judging... Is it perceiving is the other one? Yeah, perceiving, judging and perceiving, but she is yeah. real close to being a perceiver. Okay. And uh, sometimes she, she's right on that line between perceiving and judging, mm-hmm. and which means she's in the moment now. She doesn't want to make decisions. You know, she wants so to keep almost the open. opposite. Well, in a lot, lot of ways. And, and let me tell you what it helped me to understand. 
and, and I, immediately when she did this, and I looked at these two, I said, look. And I said, this explains what happened. And I told, took her back to Norman Park, and in that house, the kitchen had a den to one side. Behind the den was a dining room that was connected to a living room that was connected to the hall that was connected to the, to the kitchen. So it was a circle. Yeah, okay. You know? Yeah. And one time we had this argument, and, um, and, and it, got, uh, it got loud. Mm-hmm. And when it got loud, my wife shut up because as an introvert, she had to think before she spoke. She cannot talk and think at the same time. As an extrovert, I can't <laughs> think unless mm-hmm. I talk. Right. You know, I, I don't I'm, do I'm so I'm the same well. way, absolutely. And, and so now she's, she clams up because she's thinking about this because this is important to her. But you know how I read that? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you're not. You're not going to sit there and stonewall me. We're going to talk about this. This is important to our relationship. And so she moved to the den. And I followed her, and I was talking. And she moved to the dining room, and I followed her, and I was talking. She moved and sat down in the living room, and I followed her in there. And she got up, and she went back to the kitchen. And, you know, we, we really had a hard time getting over that. But once I learned about this, and she learned about it, it helped our relationship. And I help others in marriage preparation and in improvement of marriage, coaching in marriage. Mm-hmm. Because uh, now, for example, when my wife and I have a difference of opinion, <laughs> uh, I know she's not going to be ready to talk about it because it's just come up. She hadn't had a chance. You know, so I literally will say, okay, how long do you need? Is this something that's going to take you half an hour Half a day. If it takes half a day, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but, you know, uh, is this going to take half an hour, an hour? Uh, I'll come back to you in half an hour. Okay. I'll come back in half an hour and say, you ready to talk? She'll say no or yes. But it, it has, because I understand the way her brain is connected inside and the mm-hmm. way she works, I can appreciate that and not push her to be like me. Right. Now, if we don't do that, what we end up doing is bringing our own expectations and assumptions about people. I assumed that everybody needed to talk it out. I assumed they needed to talk about it right now. My unconscious assumption was a problem in our relationship. But once we understood that, then we could appreciate each other. I wasn't a jerk, and she wasn't uncaring. (laughs) That's what we thought about each other. And then we could sit down and and have a conversation and work out the differences. I see that too. Just even like on a, a student ministry level or college ministry level, you know, even young adults in my own age, is communications key and knowing where they're coming from when they're coming to that communication piece. Are they coming from you know the extroverted, the introverted? Are they coming from maybe? it hurt them a little more personally than it hurt you. Yeah. And so you, you know, not saying you, you, but sure. the, the person that goes, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we'll talk about it later. It's like, well, no, this is a significant deal to that person. So just knowing where the person's coming from and how they approach it, and that brings that communication piece to be more genuine, more authentic, and more, uh, well, I'm trying to think of the word. It's just more uh, going to be easier to address and easier to settle and easier to have both sides fully feel like they were represented in the conversation and they're going to have a better resolution 
of the conflict or of the communication. It, it could even be positive stuff, too, of how you can yep. talk to one another to maximize your marriage. And it also helps in building trust. Absolutely. Because once we understood each other, one of the big parts of building trust was for us and for any couple or any in any relationship, uh, no longer did I think she was not as committed to the relationship as I was. No longer did she think I was bullying her. Mm-hmm. When she understood, I thought we had to talk it out. I didn't want it to, you know, seethe and, and you know, be a cancer in our relationship. Well, it wasn't. But so we were able to trust each other more that we, we could expect the best from each other, not the worst. Once mm-hmm. we understood. So one of the things I do with couples is, and it's in the book, it talks about personality. Uh, another thing is the five love languages. Come on. I'm a big believer of it. <laughs> it's it's great stuff. Uh, Did I impress you? Uh, when Bill came in here, he said, do you know the five love Boom, I knew all five of them. Come yes, on. Yes. And uh, in, if, for those of you who may not have, have known about this, uh, Gary Chapman, who is a a pastor and a licensed professional counselor about 25 years ago wrote a book um, where he talked about how people give and receive love. Right. And there are five basic ways that people give and receive love. Tell me what those are. It is acts of services. Yep. Gifts. Yep. Quality time. Yep. Physical touch and words of affirmation. Absolutely. Boom. And every one of us has at least one of those as a primary and usually one of those as a secondary. Some people are bilingual. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, anyway, the beauty of that is, uh, and the way I use this to, to work with couples is this. Um, now, I have to give you a little background. Right. You know, my coaching ministry is called Selfless Love Coaching. And it comes from uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any man would follow me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And I've heard that. To uh, used to describe, and I have many times used that to describe the disciple, the follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it fits for marriage as well, because marriage, the way God intended it, was when I came into this relationship with Mary Beth. God, I assume that God brought us into this relationship, and my job now is to love her in such a way that she can experience God's love. That I become. The, the primary person in this world to incarnate God's love for her. So she knows she's loved, not just by me, but by Him. Well, we know the cross is selfless love. So the first thing we have to do is deny ourselves. The five love languages are a very, very perfectly practical way of doing that because when my wife and I did the five love language inventory, it showed that her primary love language is quality time. My primary love language are, is physical touch. So, another story, and this is this was a revelation for me. Okay. <clears throat> Not, back hit, in 90s. Hit us, hit us. What's up? <laughs> What's the revelation? Well, Chapman brought the book and uh, wrote the book in 95. I picked it up in 96 and was reading it uh, at the time, this particular time in 96. I came home one evening. Um, from church, I left the office, leaving the work work for the day, you know, and, and when I drove into the carport, my wife met me there, the door was open, I smelled, the dinner was ready. 
she greeted me at the door. She said, you know, go ahead and go back and get your clothes changed, get comfortable and come back. We'll eat. And I gave her a big sloppy kiss and patted her on the fanny. And that, <laughs> that really made me feel good. And I went back, got it. We came back to the table. Emily, Anna, Mary Beth are sitting there. We have a wonderful meal. The girls cleaned the table off. And, and, and I'm thinking, okay, dear, I will... Uh, I'll wash the dishes. Since you, you cook the meal, I'll wash the dishes. Why don't you go in and sit down and watch some TV and just relax some, okay? And uh, so she did. And uh, 20 minutes later, I've washed the dishes, cleaned up, the, wiped the table, counters, stove, hanging up the dishcloth, and I'm thinking like I'm little Jack Horner. You know? <laughs> I stuck in my thumb and pulled yeah. out a plum and yeah. think, what a good guy am I, you know? Absolutely. So I around the corner from the, from the kitchen into our little den, and I said, well, I'm finished, and I smiled. And she looked up at me, and, and I thought, well, she just didn't hear. I said, they're clean. And she heard that, and she still didn't smile. And all of a sudden, I started getting defensive. I thought, how dare you be upset with me when I just washed the dishes? Yeah, acts of services, folks. Come on now. <laughs> and so, I, and I wasn't thinking in that category right then. I was just thinking, okay, this is a great thing to do, you know, but... I was proud of myself, uh, too proud. But nevertheless, she, uh, she and I had this uh, very brief and, and verbal, you know, loud conversation, that, and she got the last word there. Um, <laughs> and this was it. I'll never forget it. She looked up at me and in a moment of real clarity said, I would rather wash dishes with you than have you wash dishes for me. And that just stopped me. It's called a drop the mic moment right it there. It was, and and back up and eat crow bill. Mm -hmm. But we had a conversation after that when I understood that, and I began to talk to her because when she said that, it became clear. I had just been reading Chapman's book, and I thought, oh, wait. She wanted quality time. I was giving her acts of service. And so once we, I had apologized and I understood her, I started talking about that. And so I brought the book home the next day. We did the test and literally used that every week of our life. We talk about our love language. And I know now my wife every day needs 15 to 20 minutes of knee-to-knee, nose-to-nose time without me looking at TV, without me looking at the, the telephone, uh, no books open. She needs, if she's going to feel loved, she needs that undivided attention. That's love mm -hmm. to her. Uh, so I have to die to myself, which is, uh, you know, I want to give her a sloppy kiss and pat her on the fanny. I have to die to that because my job is not to get my needs met. My job under God is to meet hers. Deny myself, take up the cross for her and follow him mm -hmm. to the end. And so that's one of the things that I do. And, and that is one of the most impactful things that couples continue to say. I, when I work with couples, I'll have them go through this process. And part of the homework is to go through this, watch the videos, uh, the, work out a list of 10 things. 60% uh, of that primary love language, 40% of that secondary love language. 
And then I have them bring those lists back to me. We talk through them. And when I was uh, at church, I'd have Diane King. Shout out to Diane King. Come on. My uh, amazing uh, personal secretary there and church secretary, uh, but my assistant. But she would take that. She would shrink it into a small wallet-sized sheet of paper and laminate it. And I would give those to the couples and say, this is your get-out-of-jail-free card. You look at this regularly and remember your job is not to get your needs met. Your job is to meet the needs. Love your spouse the way she feels loved. Right. And um, I... If I I may, that's super impactful for me just because, you know, relationships is a lot what we talk about with church. We talk about student ministries, relationships. And when I talk about this, this is super awesome and it's applicable to boyfriend, girlfriends, you know, wife, husband. But it's also, you can use this in friendships. Absolutely. You can use this in your family. Like when my dad and my brother, uh, my brother listens, so shout out to my brother Will, is their love language is gifts. Mm-hmm. They they mm-hmm. show theirs through gifts. And nothing like, you know, my brother. Doesn't take it. It doesn't have to be extraordinary, but that's not my love language. Right. And so I've had to learn. And, and my brother probably can laugh about how many Christmases I've gotten like this this present, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, like I appreciate it. But they're like, no, like it's the gift, like I got this most incredible <laughs> gift in the world. I'm like, no, no, no I really appreciate, it. yeah. And they're like, but Ben, why aren't you like crying right now? Because it's the coolest <laughs> gift. And I'm like, that's just not. I mean, I, I I genuinely appreciate it, but it's not my love language of like I'm going to go crazy. Yep. Mine's also quality time. So yep. me just having Christmas time with you, sitting with you is the gift of itself. And I've told my brother that multiple times, and my dad, like, if you think, like, <laughs> I'm mad at you because of this gift, I would not be in the same room as you, <laughs> you know, or, you know, I wouldn't want to yeah. hang out with you. Yeah. And so just learning that on just a brother or sister or, you know, parents or whatever, friendships, knowing those love languages is really important if yep. you're really going to have to have successful relationships and really meet them and help them out and be selfless. Thought I would say that it is absolutely uh, one of the most important. In fact, I when I was writing the book, uh, my book and uh, that chapter. Do you mean your book called "Marriage Maximized: The Guide of a Purposeful and Passionate Relationship"? I am talking about one and the same. (laughs) Okay. okay. Uh, The chapter that I wrote about the love languages. I literally I I thought, okay, I'm going to make a statement here that I need to check with Gary Chapman. So I worked through his assistant, publicist, whatever, and had about a 20-minute conversation with him. Um, and, and we talked about it and how it developed, and, uh, and I told him how I used it. And I said, I, I want to ask you a question. I, I make this comment. Uh, it's, a, it's a promise or a guarantee to couples. I, I literally say to them, um, if you will do this, if you will look at this get-out-of-jail-free card regularly, if you will... will learn how to love selflessly your your bride or your your groom from point of view of how they feel loved right then i will guarantee you you will never lack passion in your relationship when you see your other friends who are married and they've gotten all tied up in marriage and they don't understand this and they don't have that passion anymore and they're wondering mm-hmm. why they don't and they may wonder why you do this is the reason 
because this is how God does it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, God, God, if you accept God's purpose, then it will bring out the passion he wants you to have for each other. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and I said, am I overstating it? And he thought for just a second. He said, absolutely not. He said, uh, and the reason that he would say that, I would say that, is it's not based upon our philosophy. It's based upon, you know, God's intention for marriage. And when, we, when you do marriage God's way, you know, you get God's results. Absolutely. So. Well, uh, and you've been so kind as you offered it's selflesslove.net slash the GWB herd. And if they do that, they go to that website and they go to that link, they can sign up to schedule an obligation-free one-hour call to discover their love languages. Yep. And, and so you'll talk to them. No obligation. They don't have to sign up. There's no nope. fee. Nope. They put in that uh, that offer code, and you can talk to them. Well, yep. Let me talk about your love language. How can I help you out? And that's super insightful to get just an outside perspective of you know what your love languages are and how that interacts with one another. Uh, and I appreciate you doing that. Yeah. Well, it's my it's my privilege to help people when I can. And what I'd like to do is, if if people will go to selflesslove.net forward slash the GWB herd. Uh, click that. You, you're going to have that on your podcast. Yeah. So you know we're we're on Apple and Spotify. So it'll be the link will be in okay. the description of the episode. They so go to that link. It'll if you click that, it will take you to a, a page where you can click a uh, get on my calendar. Right. And you choose. There'll be times there that you can choose. Now, what I'll do when I see somebody wants to do that, I'll get in touch with you either email or phone, however you choose, and I'll make sure that you've already done the inventory and send me the, the five love languages uh, inventory results for you and for your spouse. And, and we'll do that before we talk. And that'll give us an hour to talk about nice. how yeah. that will do it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fun for me. I love it. Absolutely. It helped me immensely. So I'd love to help other people. Well, I want to say thank you so much for for coming on the show, being here today. It's been, I, don't, I loved it. I've had a good time. Uh, thank uh, you. It's some great stories and also very practical episode. Um, I think a lot of listeners here can hear this and apply it to their own life, and I love that practicality of it. I always ask my guests, what's one little piece of nugget? Give us some wisdom. I know you just gave us a lot of wisdom, but just like a little phrase or something that you say to yourself to, to encourage yourself, go forward, what would be your piece of wisdom? Well, my piece of wisdom is, is, and I've said it over and over, but it, it bears repeating. Um, God did not give us marriage to make us happy. He literally gave us marriage to make us holy, meaning like Him. Right. And so if we do marriage God's way with God's tools, we get God's result and that is a purposeful and passionate relationship that also has the sprinkles of, of happiness, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's so, uh, fantastic uh, wisdom there. Mine's going to be, uh, if I had to give one, would be, it's not about behavior modification, it's about the inward transformation. Boom, that's a Mayfield original. Um, <laughs> but I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, just remember... Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Reverend Bill, for being here today. 
And I'm sorry that I butchered your name at the beginning. That's of the okay. Um, You're I'm, not the first. I've I'm been called first. a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, just remind all of our listeners, uh, don't forget to look for that offer code in our description of the episodes. Uh, go like us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at the Great White Buffalo Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating. Write us a review. It helps up the channel tremendously. And now we are on Spotify as well. So follow us on Spotify if that's where you want to listen to. And we have merch coming out real soon. We have some T-shirts and stickers coming out probably in the next week or two. So be on the lookout for that. Once again, Reverend Bill, thank you so much uh, for being here. Thank you so much. This is this has been my first podcast. Yeah, yeah, uh, loved it. Thanks, Ben. You've been a, you've been a great host. I appreciate that. Thank you all for listening to the Great White Buffalo Podcast. We'll see you next time.